How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast with Dave and Matt. And Matt, I, uh, listen, I'm not one to say that I told you so. I'm not one to make it about myself on this show, but I did tell you so. What, what did you tell me? What are you talking about? Well, if you remember a couple episodes ago, I made the, uh, the argument that we are living in a hellscape and that the future is doomed. And I think as we stand on the precipice of World War III, that prediction has unfortunately come true. Okay. Well, if you're listening to... <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. That's a lot. Uh, well, everyone, you're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast. I'm Matt, and this is Dave, and apparently he has... And we are all doomed. He is taking the show in a whole new direction today. And doomed. You th- you say, you're thinking we're in the precipice of World War Three? Is you, you... Well, Yeah. I mean, if you are following politics, we have a president launching bombs at a sovereign nation, and they're launching bombs at our bases overseas and people are getting killed already and it's, it's cats and dogs right each other's throats hasn't that or, been happening for ever now is no it, just now just now that's just new happening. oh this is a new yeah thing. brand new oh okay uh i'm not so sure that what you're saying is um that i agree with it that we're at this uh j- about to turn into this giant war planet or something I, well listen i mean when you have a president who is clearly motivated by you know jacked up army dudes from the 80s like commando and cobra I mean, this these seem to be his idols i mean this is a guy who probably watched top gun just a few too many times well cobra wasn't even a soldier he was that was sylvester stallone as a rogue cop uh, yeah same same that movie's awesome by the way all those movies are awesome i love let me, let me be very very clear i love all those like like steroid fueled action films from the eighties, but you do have a generation of, of boomers specifically who kind of like pattern their, their views on foreign policy based on like, what would Arnold do? You know, like I could just see Trump, he's eating his 12th big Mac of the day, you know, his 57th diet Coke, you know, cause he's on a diet. Uh, his, his 75th large fry, and he's sitting there, one uh, flipping back and forth between Fox News and uh, that that Harrison Ford movie. What was that? The one where he's, it was Air Force One or oh, like, where, Get Off, yeah, get get off, off My, my Plane. plane. The, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where the terrorists come to take over the president's plane and yeah, exactly. he's got to fist fight him away or something. Um, you know, punch first, ask questions later. So that's what's really going on. Is we're we're basically in the same kind of war situations we're always in, but you're more concerned about it this time because we have a, a silly um, TV star for a president, that, and you and you're worried. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, we we've had we've had actors as presidents before. I mean, Reagan was an actor, right? Yeah, I don't know why we were so shocked. I mean, I guess he was a, an actor of the silver screen and somehow that carried a little bit more prestige than a reality star actor, but we've had one before, but I, I, I think that this is a, this is a government in particular. Like every, if you see like a, okay, let's just take a independence day, for example, right. Or any of those sort of alien invasion movies. You know how, like, in those movies, there's always, like, that general or the the vice president or the secretary of state, and they're like, we got to nuke them, sir. It's the, the bomb is the option, right? Yeah. And then, they, and then they drop the nuke, and then, like, nothing happens, and it's like, oh, my God, all hope is lost. Right, yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure that's Independence Day. So, like, we actually have a government that, that are those characters, but in real life. 
Yeah, maybe. I uh, like the guys that went, and then when the scientist comes in and he's like, "That's not going to work," and the general's like, hey, yeah. "We've heard enough from you, Mister Scientist." Jeff get, Goldblum, yeah, go recycle somewhere. I, I do feel like, yeah, that is a common response in uh, uh, the, the the government nowadays. Though is like, uh, hey, you know, we we should invest in solar energy. We've heard enough from you, Mister Scientist. We're gonna bring back coal mines with children operating them instead. That's what my pappy did. I, I don't know where we're going with this. Uh, well, but, it's, it's, um, I find it. So, I, so you, I saw. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say. I, so I saw this. Um, I saw this uh, video that was sort of breaking down the movie Drive. This uh-huh. is going to seem like a little bit of a non sequitur, but I'm going to circle back to our main Just topic, a little right? Bit, yeah. So the argument behind the character of the driver from Drive is that he's a, per, he's a, he's a human being that's just watched too many action films, right? And so, and so if you listen to the score, real hero and like kind of how he operates up until the very, very end, he, he kind of patterns his behavior on, on like what those death wish type actors would have done, right? Like he puts on the mask, he's got like this, the jacket kind of costume. It's not to the end that he makes like a, a, a selfless sacrifice that he actually becomes, as the song would suggest, a real hero, right? Okay. So, so. I guess the question I'm asking is, are we living in an environment, in a world where our country and the world for that matter is being run by people who watched too many war movies and they use that as sort of the basis of their morality? In a way, yes. But that's a good thing because I'm not talking about the people you're talking about. I'm talking about the real people who are running the world. The real people. The Illuminati. No, man. I'm talking about the people who own the future. Our generation, uh, the following generations, the people who really matter. No, I'm aware that aging fools are at the helm. But when it comes down to it, the art, the culture, the technology, the research, all of this stuff that's being that's making the future is being shaped by a much younger generation that grew up on the war movies that count because the people you're talking about. They had war films that portrayed a completely different thing. War was this place that you, you, you enlist out of personal resp- responsibility, out of, out of social responsibility, and you go off to fight an obviously bad guy that looks nothing like you and the right, people from right. your country. And you're like 40 or, or th- late 30s, early 40s, and you've got a stubbly beard because you're John Wayne or you're George C. Scott or you're uh, you know one of the guys from the Rat Pack, uh, Dean Martin, you know, right, and right. that's what soldiers look like. And everybody, it's the lines are you know Telly Savalas in Tank Guy. That's a, that sounds ridiculous, but like the lines are. I would watch uh, Tank Guy with very the... clear. You know who's the bad yeah, right. guy, who's the good guy, and what you need to do to be good. But the generation that's making the world right now, you know, the younger people, the, the people who are really uh, at it, not the, not these retirees you're talking about. Uh, what did we grow up with? Who were our war heroes? Who did we have? Jeff Goldblum. I don't know that reference of Jeff Goldblum in, in, at war, in, but... Independence Day. Independence Day is not a war movie. That's a it sci-fi. is a war movie. It's a, it's a movie about the Earth at war with aliens. Moving, and we welcomed them to Earth. Moving on and more appropriate. We had... Who did we get, man? Did we get John Wayne with his chiseled jaw and his stubble and, 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 and you know, uh, the longest day? No, man. We had Matthew Modine looking like he could barely grow a beard with his yeah. like, dumb-looking buzz haircut 
totally unaware of what he was doing. And, and in the end, when, what was his big heroic act? Was it throwing grenades at a tank and saving a group of children? Nah, man. Then finally, in the end, when he gets that kill he's been wanting to get, and he, he saves his friend from the sniper, and they, they go into the building. And who, who was the, the big enemy in there the whole time? Uh, a, a girl that looks about five years younger than him lying right, on the ground, right. bleeding out saying, kill me, kill me in Vietnamese. And, and that's, there it is. Uh, you know, there's your, your big evil enemy right there is some teenage girl trying to like get these foreigners out of her village. You know, that's the kind of stuff we grew up on, man. Charlie Sheen losing his innocence in platoon, just terrified the entire time. Men stabbing themselves in the legs so that they can be injured enough to get taken off the battlefield when the uh, support comes in the next morning so they can go home. You know, um, even into the uh, later uh, films like... um, uh, who, what's his name? Donnie Darko. He's going to be in Spider-Man. Uh, oh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal in Jarhead. Just uh, completely confused about why he's in, in the Middle East and just hoping he gets to kill somebody because well, so he's this weird training he gets. You know, all we got yeah. were, were stories about young, confused men and, and women in places they should never be. And I think well, so that's what think we're that- that's the people right now that are. Uh, making the world man it's the people who know what that war really is this mess so what do you think the change was though because you're right like the older generation grew up on war movies that were like they're very they're very heroic all actions on the side of the good guys were heroic right yeah um and and probably sort of sometime in the late 70s mid 80s you did start to see a little bit of a change remember that movie war games yeah yeah war games with uh Matthew Broderick, uh, Matthew Broderick and he's yeah. basically got the, the, the supercomputer that's about to like launch missiles. Yeah, no, and that was o- actually one of the uh, earliest and, and one of the most, still most accurate warnings about artificial intelligence and, and the risks involved. Yeah, it was like uh, the only way to win the game is not to play at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, uh, we, so, so like it feels like probably young filmmakers of that time, right, of the, coming out of the 60s and 70s, coming into their own to the in the late 70s and the 80s and the 90s who had grown up with Vietnam as sort of their example of of what war can be produced a lot of movies that for us when we were in our formative stages gave us a different viewpoint on what war is right it was no longer Hogan's Heroes it was born on the 4th of July yeah. right it was no longer where eagles dare it was um you know platoon right it was it wasn't people with how they became a man and how heroes are made. It was stories of how lives are destroyed and how, how the consequences, the return, the, the PTSD. It was like, it was a lot of stuff. Uh, there's also, I mean, a huge difference between the films about the Vietnam era and all their predecessors were, uh, they had an extra character that had never been in a war movie before. Uh, maybe not never, but you just never saw this guy. And that was the mm. war, the war journalist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, every Vietnam movie has that guy, you know, who's just there to take pictures and record stuff. And that's that's really significant because I think that's a lot of why the public opinion changed so much. Is uh, the Vietnam era was the first time where we were seeing real on the battlefield footage every night in our living rooms as Americans, you know, watching the news. We were seeing videos of uh, villages being firebombed, you know, and. and um, so did you see ter- terrible uh, things? But well, well, just a second, because uh, 
that's that's what's wild is uh, about how fast our culture changes. Like, right. think of the the late '60s, right, where people are sitting at home watching. Why is the news showing villages being firebombed on on the news? Is it because they want to show how horrible the war is, or no, it's not? They're they're celebrating our actions. Look how good we're doing. We're blowing up villages. Right, but it had like, a, it had an adverse effect. Right, but that but that's the culture they were talking to at the time was people who were like. I want to see us blowing stuff up. I want to know we're over there killing people. And uh, I, well, hold on. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, well, I'm not that old, but I, I don't know if that was actually the case. I think that was really more a symptom of the technology that was available because you got to remember, like we had TV and there was movies in world war one and, and uh, the Korean war, but not on the same scale that there was by the late sixties, you know, the ability to like, right. I mean, it was like the, really the first time in history that there was a, a real opportunity to get like video footage and like send it back to America of what was going on. I, I actually don't think that they were trying to speak to a culture that was looking for that visual confirmation of war. I think they were just like, hey, man, this gets ratings, right? We can do this now. And then what happened was you it's actually the adverse effects, right? People of that culture saw that and they're like were horrified a lot of them know, a lot came. of them were a lot of them were and but that's that's the thing is there was there's still that barrier of that tv producer that's going like should we run this yeah definitely you know because up until then what did they have like you you would go to a theater and there would be maybe a little clip before the movie starts of uh, right, propaganda you know, this week in the war and they would show you know on the front lines the boys are marching on and they would show these kind of updates and stuff and we you know we took over this area but like something in the '60s changed, where they were actually showing the the footage of the war, and I think uh, right. that I think they they did feel comfortable because you don't see that stuff on TV anymore. And I think they they did feel comfortable. Well, I think they 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 felt comfortable showing it because they knew Americans would be okay with it. Now I think we would be di- more disturbed by it. There would be more consequences than ratings. I think also there was. A- Man, I, and I hate to look back with too much rose-colored glasses, but there may have been something to the effect of more journalistic integrity back then. I think the idea of being a journalist carried a different weight than it does now. Yeah, maybe. You know, I think that a lot of people found prestige in being like a wartime journalist, like a you know, like they they were covering serious. They were serious journalists, right? And I don't know that a, that is a field that. Uh, people feel as passionate about it. I mean, I'm sure some people do, but it's just, it's not the, the norm, right? If you're, if you're in a war zone reporting from there, I, I think you are probably someone with a lot of in- journalist integrity, journalistic integrity. I, I think they're serious, right. but I think, like even, I think you're, even, uh, I, Dave, I think you're missing my point though, that it's a, what I'm trying to point out is that there's been a cultural shift, man, moving forward because even before then, uh, like I, I think it was something like um, time magazine uh, back in the forties uh, there, there's this famous uh, article on the, uh, I want to say the Nagasaki bombing. And it was something like, the headline was something something like rat rat extermination or something like that. You oh, know? sure, and yeah. they're talking about how their straw huts made such perfect kindling for our, the flames of our bombs and, right, uh, and right. just how ha- the, the glee in which they reported on this uh, massacre. Uh, of the of dropping the atomic bomb, you know, and that that that's they're talking to a different audience, and that audience keeps changing. That audience is us, and we're at a point now to where, what was a uh, something we saw uh, in the last ten years? Um, there was a uh, the the footage that um, Chelsea Manning exposed to us, where uh, the uh, drones were killing first responders and journalists. 
Sure. And, right. Uh, think of the the outrage of that, you know. And those weren't American first responders or journalists. They were typically uh, like enemy people, but we were still furious at it. Here, here's where I think that I here's where I, I sort of fundamentally disagree with you is that I don't think that that culture is different than this culture. I think what you had is a different approach, right? I think that leading up to the footage from Vietnam, what you had is propaganda and dehumanization of the people that we were at war with, right? So the Japanese and the Germans, and they, they were always sort of associated with some sort of animal, you know? Right, it was yeah. like really dehumanized. Like you didn't very racist. see... Huh? Racist. Yeah, it was very... Yeah. But it was racist, but it was more than just racism. It was dehumanizing, right? I, I long time ago, I read some study about how... Um, when a country wants to sort of target its citizens, they bring in um, they bring in mercenaries from other countries because it's very fundamentally difficult for people to arrest people that look like them, uh. attack you know encampment people who look like them, right? Um, so I think it's really more it's less of like the culture was different then. I think the culture was not exposed then, and I think that it was a it was a really fundamental flaw that media. Uh, and the government uh, had in showing them so much footage from Vietnam because it humanized the quote unquote, the enemy. And I think that all you're seeing since then is I don't think that it's uh, people from the forties would have been less outraged because I think that once they were shown that footage in the sixties is sort of defined by it's the outrage of the people against the Vietnam war. Right. I think the government and the and and the government controlled media was like, we can never do this again. We got to go back to like, you know, showing flares in the sky and like showing photos of them only wearing clothing that's completely foreign to ours. You, you and think there's a there's a government body that makes the choice of what is going to be on the news? I think that it's very evident. I mean, look, if you look at Fo- Fox News is a great example, right? They're not going to air anything that the Republican Party doesn't want them to air okay. for the most part. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you look at the way you know CNN and and whatever uh, covers uh the president the, the democratic presidential uh, race right they they fa- they clearly favor some candidates over other candidates right are they doing it completely autonomous or are they all buddies part of the big club that we're not a part of where the separation between media and government is at an all-time low uh, i could see why you would uh think it feels that way or, or speculate on that, but I, I, I'm not hearing the evidence for uh, what you're basing this on. So like, okay, look, as an exercise, take a look at the way the media covers Bernie Sanders and specifically the verbiage that they use. I don't have it in front of me, but it was something like Bernie was like number two in the polls, or maybe he was even number one in the polls. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but the way that they, they wrote the article, right? in covering like where the different candidates were standing uh, yeah. were, were ranked in the standings was like so slanted against no, him. Like it was totally C- it was trying CNN to like, and it uh, was um, something like Biden moves into number three as Warren moves into number one. And they just didn't, didn't mention who was at number two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. Exactly. Just isn't a number two. Don't worry about that. We talked about at the top of the show, how the movies that a certain generation watched helped define their view on war, right? Help them define their view on how America takes care of business, right? Conversely, we talked about how 
movies of a younger generation which presented war in a different light helped shape the mindset of you know really young gen xers and and millennials right so i i think that we have to be give media its due credit both in movies and in news that they don't play to an audience so much as they create an audience or at least make a valiant attempt at it if the ending of full metal jacket that i described if that if he would have gone in that bunker and instead of a, a young woman bleeding out and dying was uh, some Viet Cong commando and Matthew Modine had to karate fight him and uh, ended up like cutting his head off with a machete and it was all badass. That film would be so forgettable. No one would care about that film. I, well, maybe, maybe it would, but it's hard to say because let's be honest. When did, when did Full Metal Jacket come out? What year? Uh, must have been the mid '80s, like maybe '83, '84. Okay. I think. Would you say? Would you say that it's a fair characterization of the mid '80s that they are defined by movies, movies that are still referenced today, that involved a badass commando going in and killing a bunch of people? I mean, look at the whole Rambo series outside of the first movie, really, but but specifically the sequels of Rambo, right? Doesn't that basically define like every Rambo movie after First Blood? You can't do that. You can't just go, oh, except for First Blood, because First Blood is significantly different I know from the is. other films, and it's the best one. It is. I agree with you 100%. However, the other films are basically a cartoon in which a guy is just like it's a video game. I mean, it's ridiculous. But the first film is what is it about? PTSD, uh, alienation, the, the real <laughs> issues. But Matt. When you think of Rambo, okay, when the average person thinks, if you were to ask your mom, tell me about Rambo, which Rambo do you think she's going to define? Do you think she's going to define the first blood Rambo or do you think she's going to define, what is it, Rambo 3 where he was like, like fucking jacked on roids and, (laughs) you know, like blow, those movies just got so bombastic over time. But like, you're right. Just like with the Rocky movies. The Rambo, the first Rambo movie is such a good movie. It's so of the time. It's so like exactly what we're talking about, right? But as they went on, and because Sylvester Stallone's is a conservative dude, he's pro-Reagan, they became, you know, progressively more like, you know, go into a village and kill them all with karate and cool muscles. And like when people think of those flicks, that's what they think about, which is unfortunate. But I, I do think the average person... And look, it's I not their that, fault. Well, that, I mean, but also, those movies were actually called Rambo, where the first one is called First Blood. That that might have something to yeah. do with it too. Not everybody knows when they see First Blood in the video store that that's a Rambo movie. They don't. Uh, they but that's not true. I, I I mean, look, I think that if you look at a uh, Road Warrior versus Mad Max, everyone knows that those are Mad Max movies. Yeah, but same same thing. Uh, most people, uh, I have. Uh, if you've seen any of them, you've seen Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. You've seen Mad Max. Totally. But. You might Fury not have Road. seen, yeah, but you might not have seen the first one, which is just called the Road Warrior, right? Is sure. That, is that yeah. how it did? It was the first yeah. one was called Road Warrior. What was the second one called? Mad Max? Just Mad Max? No. Oh, maybe it was. I don't remember. Uh. I'll, have to look that up. I'll cut all this out. But <laughs> I think, but my I think point there's being is like, like the character in the title that makes the film more uh, memorable. Listen, you know? I, I think that I think that what I'm trying the point I'm trying to make is that is that these films shape the way we view things. Um, they, you know, when Top Gun came out, you had a massive surge in enlistment in the Navy. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, if you look at, yeah, right. If you look at Full Metal Jacket, if Full Metal Jacket had ended 
in a different manner than the way it did, it might have it might have, I don't know for sure, but it might have pushed a whole generation to look at things in a slightly different manner. And maybe you could argue that in spite of its greatness, there was just too many, too much else of this sort of jingoistic testosterone-fueled action films that sort of dominated in their bombasticness uh, a generation's viewpoint on, on foreigners and how we so. deal with foreigners as Americans. If they dominated anything, it was a straight to video market uh, most i mean most of those films uh, i think of back in the 80s rambo, and 90s were commando just, uh, Ra- rambo um, commando well first off predator commando is not a war movie i mean it basically is a dude with camouflage fighting some dudes in a in a distant area trying to re- kickboxer yeah, it's about a guy trying to rescue his daughter from uh some uh like drug cartel or something it's not a war movie uh, so you don't think that that influenced the pay with the way people sort of view war Commando? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think that one was very. It was so unrealistic, so ridiculous. No, I think that's uh, the point. There, now there are films like maybe uh, Red Dawn, which of uh, uh, you know might have given some young people the idea of oh they might invade our country and we better go. You know, I mean even even now uh, with uh, missing an action, the whole reason you're you're uh, talking about this stuff because of uh, the the uh, Iranian assassination. Uh, that happened this week. Um, I see people on uh, Facebook sharing that sheepdog quote from uh, American Sniper. You know what I'm talking about? From Clint Eastwood's American Sniper. Uh, I, I never saw that movie. Okay, so there's this really like construction paper, constru- you know what I mean? Like uh, basic yeah. quality idea, like like a kid's book. It's like, uh, why, why do we go to fight wars in other nations? And uh, apparently... I don't know if it's true or not, but Chris Kyle, the the sniper, the the douchebag. Uh, yeah, he was a problematic character for sure. That, that oh, he's a terrible piece of shit on. human. Uh, he, um, his father used to tell him this thing about uh, some people are sheep and some people are sheep dogs, and it's up to the sheep dog to protect the sheep. And if the sheep dog doesn't do his job, then all the sheep get killed. And and yeah, uh, every t- every time there's any kind of talk of war, you always see conservatives nowadays will share that clip on Facebook or post it to or now, quote now it in, in social media because that's our justification for apparently just invading everyone. So here's a question we're, for you then: We are sheep dogs. Do you, do you feel like because a few episodes back we talked about wag the tail, right? Wag the wag the dog, yeah, right? Wag the dog, yeah. Do you feel like those movies? Um, find an audience that already has this pre-existing idea, or do you think that this these kind of movies kind of create an audience, or maybe is it somewhere in between? Well, what I think is going on now is that okay, I think that a Wag the Dog uh, had an audience already because it had an amazing cast with like Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and no, not Al Pacino, uh, um, uh, Hoffman, um, Robert De Niro and. Uh, Dustin Hoffman. Dustin <laughs> Hoffman. Yeah. Captain Hook, man. Robert De Niro and Dustin Hoffman. And, that's uh, the that's the Dustin Hoffman movie you reference, Captain Hook. The character. He was, he was in the graduate. I mean he was in the, He was great. <laughs> he was in, Hook Hook is the is what he'll be known for. Moment, like, dude. Was, on Dustin Hoffman's yeah. grave it was he was Hook. He really was Hook. Which is, by the way, I, I a love, super problematic a nickname for a captain. Like you know what I'm saying? What was if his if he'd lost a leg instead? Would he have been Captain Peg? Absolutely, Peggy. Of course he would. Of course he would. How ableist of them! If he of lost the an eye, he'd be Captain Patch. Uh, but if he he might not have been the captain, the hook was uh, 
very intimidating. So, so. Yeah, getting so. back to it, though, Wag the Dog already had an audience because it had an amazing cast. But I do think that a lot of that audience that came out of that film uh, did have some uh, uh, some new ideas to work with uh, that might uh, lead to more future distrust in um, official sure. messages after that. Uh, American Sniper, I think, was a little different. It it definitely already had an audience. It may have in some very young and impressionable people um, created uh, a ch- change their way of thinking moving forward. But I, I think that films like American Sniper, uh, th- that they do well right now. Another one I think is, um, oh, what was it called? Is, what was the film about the... Uh, the Benghazi attack that came out a few years ago. That's, that's kind of for that same audience. Is it zero dark 30? Oh, zero, zero dark 30. Yeah. That was about the assassination of, uh, Osama bin Laden. Okay. That was about Osama bin Laden. So that would be one. Yeah. I can't remember what the Benghazi film was though, because that was, a. Uh, let me uh, see. Benghazi movie. What was that? We're just Googling stuff. Oh, on, uh, oh thir- 13, 13 hours. hours. Yes. So, okay, so films like American Sniper, 13 Hours, uh, Zero Dark Thirty, I think that they exist for a very thirsty audience of American conservatives who feel that the media doesn't represent them anymore. So, right. they, you know, you hear about the liberal media, the lamestream media, as, uh, you know, they, they like to say, uh, or, or the enemy of the people, as the president likes to say. Can, can, we, just, can we just but pause I think for a second? Are, can, can we just admire? That? Hold on. Can we just, we have to pause for a moment. We have to take a moment to admire the commitment to Dr. Seuss that conservatives have. Dr. Seuss? Yeah, oh yeah. All their insults are like rhymes. Right? Like, they, like uh, the, the lamestream media, you know, or like libtar it's all wordplay right but like pretty yeah. juvenile De- wordplay demon crats <laughs> yeah demon, demon crats, crats. Yeah. like I, yes. I, I it's so dumb that i have to really uh, we have to take a moment to just appreciate the commitment to these dr seuss-esque insults that they cling so feverishly to. Oh, i don't think we should pin that, that to an artist like seuss but uh yeah they have a lot of fun with that but but that's uh, probably where the reading level stops. my point is that them as an audience they're they're very thirsty audience for anything that confirms their worldview and so they, unfortunately for them, they, they, they get a lot of lower quality cinema, uh, not really um, the production. I mean, it's it's kind of an easy market. You know, it's like they're, they're sure. just out there going, please, someone in the, make me feel like my views are not going to go away in the next 10 years, that right. the next election is not going to, you know, a bunch of 18 year olds aren't going to come and vote out all my people and erase all the stuff that I want. Well, uh, and, and they're just, uh, they're very thirsty for that. And so, you know, that's, that's the niche that Fox news fills. Uh, it's yeah, it's, I mean that, that like I keep bringing up the sheepdog quote from American sniper. That's like poetry to them. That's amazing. And, and right. like how, what an easy, uh, to write analogy of um, some sheep on a field and a dog that protects them. But like to them, that's like, uh, they well, don't Matt, get a lot of stuff like that. So it matters. Matt, the you whole know? Bible, the whole Bible is one, you know, the whole Bible is one metaphor for things. The, and the Bible? That's kind of, yeah, yeah. If you think, if you look at the Bible, it's all, it's all very like, what, what is it? I mean, how many times is uh, the Jesus referred to the shepherd and the sheep? It's a very simplistic metaphors for people to sort of grasp and I think that um, it, it's probably not. I mean, maybe it's it's authentic, but it it it, to, it would not surprise me if it wasn't a somewhat calculated move that the terminology that he uses in this quote to describe what America's place is in the world 
for it to be similar to the way that like in the Bible, Jesus talks about his followers and his role in this sort of Christian mythology. Well, apparently it's real. I, I think it's, I think it's actually from the book that that sniper Chris Kyle wrote. Um, right. But is, I mean, is he being honest or is he like yeah, using a calculated? That's, you know? that's pretty suspect. Apparently uh, he made a lot of exaggerations in that book. So who right. knows? But uh, I don't know, but it it's, you know, it's, I guess it's what, one of those uh, support the troops type of like magic sure. spell quotes that uh, conservatives go to to not have to think about things, I guess. I, I think what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get to the core of whether or not what the power of media is, because what we know for certain is that the people who are in power right now have a very specific worldview. And if I'm going to relinquish this doom and gloom vision of the future that I have, I have to have some hope that that the media that is out there in the world, be it movies or news or, you know, Twitter updates has some power, not just to find an audience, but to shape a mindset because otherwise it's really easy to just believe that if there's, if art has, does not have that power, then we're really just at the mercy of those who happen to be empowered in that moment. Well, art is the mirror that uh, the artist holds up to society and, and, and news media is a, is an art form. And you just have to remember whenever you take in art from any source that uh, people have an ability to distort a mirror, uh, however so slightly. And you may not, you know, what they be, may be showing you may be very accurate and maybe something you weren't looking at. It may be, you know, focused on something you weren't aware of or, or didn't see the significance in, or it may be a complete distortion. And you've got to just always be aware that, uh, you know, any media being fed to you being uh, given to you is going to have its own uh, spin and distortions and um, so yeah media has got power in that way that uh, and there are some people that have complete trust over certain media sources uh, and that's a that's a weird thing Um, you know you mentioned uh, CNN and Fox News earlier and uh, recently I got I I activated that XM satellite radio thing in my car yeah right using that now and and it has a CNN on it and right next to CNN, like one channel below is the NPR, the public radio uh-huh. news, news channel. Right. And it's hilarious, man. Cause you'll, uh, you know, you'll just be driving and oh, I'll see what's going on in the news. You turn, tune into CNN, you know, and it's bum, bum, do, 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 you know, it's bum, 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 you know, it's like music is like playing the whole time. And they're like, here right. in the situation room, you know, today in Iran, a, 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 plane was shot down and we're going to get down and investigate who possibly did it and blah, 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 you know, and it's like, we've got experts coming in and, you know, are we on the precipice of a war? You know, like we, we're going to find out today. Yes. And it's, it's just this like, really like, wow, this is so Even, exciting. And then you like tune down one sta- station to NPR and they're going like today in Iran, a plane was shot down, but officials say there is no connection to uh, Iranian soldiers, you know, and, and then they're done. Right. And that's it. It's like that whole thing that CNN is about to do an hour about, NPR just kind of mentions so you know what they know and then they're done. Right. And that's, uh, right. Well, this- you know, that, that's what I'm saying. One is, uh, one is just kind of like, uh, here's, here's some facts that we heard and we don't know the rest. And the other is a complete work of art, an, an opera practically with music and costume right. and setting. Oh, and, sensationalism at its, at its highest. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a complete work of art, man. And uh, it's like Wagner uh, used to say, the complete work of art, the Gesamtkunstwerk. Uh, that's what CNN offers you. Fox News the same way. Right. They offer you this. Uh, they have actors and, and beautiful. There's a makeup department. You know, it's like everything right, is right. Uh, it's a big production. 
And so I would say that no matter what the source is, if, uh, if there's a whole lot of production going into uh, to it, you, you just have to see every layer of that production as another layer of distortion and just mm-hmm. be aware of that. You know, same thing with films. Well, I, I, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to quote Bertolt Birch when he says art is, is not a mirror to hold up to society, but a hammer with which to shape it. And I think that as we live in a world where there are people who are manipulating or attempting to manipulate us at all sides in order to push their own propaganda and their own um, sort of greedy in endeavors. I think it's up for us, the, the, the filmmakers, the, the sculptors, the artists, the writers, the musicians, uh, you know, to, to create art that not just holds the mirror up, but hopefully shapes us so that we can change the reality around us. What the what the power the art has and and does it have the ability to shape the future? Let's let's think about what Henry Rollins says during um, I think it was when the war in Iraq started, which is this is not a time to be dismayed. This is punk rock time. This is what Joe Strummer trained you for. Yeah. Okay. And I think I like that. And I think that if we want to avoid the doom and gloom of a po- of apocalyptic future, I think now is the time for us as artists to grab our hammer and start hammering away at this at this reality to shape it into something different. I guess uh, I'm with you to a certain point, And that's that I don't know what to shape it into. I mean, and I don't think you do either. So uh, a d- <laughs> just dicks. Okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> Should we go to a mailbag? Hold question? on a second. No, 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 we shouldn't. No. I was trying to say something. Don't just, but dicks was funny. Jesus, <laughs> but I don't uh, uh, see, and that's the reason why I I don't know what to shape it into. But what we can do is we can uh, show things how we see them. We can we can show things from our point of view. You know what it looks like from where we're standing, and if people, you know, that and that's useful information. That's useful information to people. If if you're looking at something and you're going, man, this reminds me of something, and this looks like something I, I don't know. I don't like what I'm seeing here. Uh, people don't have to be shaped by that opinion. That's that's information they can use. It's it's reconnaissance, you know. So if an artist, right, is, sure. If an artist says, "I'm holding up the mirror to society," and people are saying, "Ah, you've got that way wrong. That that doesn't look right." They right. can still consider why it looks that way to that artist from his point of sure. view and learn from that. And that's that's the that's the thing. We can't we can't we shouldn't be going. I know what society should be like, and I'm going to shape it into that. I mean, at most, all you should be doing is like NPR did. Like I was saying, these are some facts I'm aware of, and that's all I've got. Maybe so, maybe so. But I just remembered something that I said years about a year ago on my old podcast. We were having a discussion about whether or not art was a mirror or a hammer. I said it's both. Hold up the mirror to society. And then use the hammer to smash it. All right. Let's go to Mel back. Questions from the correct. Sam Blair asks, first, I want to thank you for the Witcher and Death Note recommendations. My question is, when can we expect to do the best action or comedy movie brackets? So if you guys remember back in the fall, well, in, from the summer into the fall, leading up to Halloween, we did a greatest of all time horror movie bracket in which The Shining was was voted on by you, our loyal listeners, as the greatest horror movie of all time. And we had talked about maybe doing a different bracket down the line of a maybe action movie or foreign film or, 
or comedy. I think kind of springing from this conversation, it does seem appropriate for us to do some sort of action film kind of bracket. What do you think, Matt? I'm down. Yeah. Whenever you'd like to do that, I'm, I'm down. Let's do it. I think about it. I think I mean, maybe like in the next, maybe when we're uh, getting into February, maybe do like around Valentine's Day. What's more romantic than talking about sweaty dudes and ladies doing martial arts and shooting guns and sword fighting over bread? It's probably going to be uh, John Wick, though. Like that's probably going to win. We already know that. You think I so? Know. <laughs> well, who knows? Just... Why don't we do? You know, fuck it. Let's do it live. Why don't we just now commit to? Uh, well, well, maybe the next week or two, we'll, we'll gather together our favorite horror movies. Should we just do? Should Not, we do this? Mean, before we do action, action, the eight? Movies, action movies. What I say? Movies, horror movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, life's a horror <laughs> movie. Um, yeah, action films. We each pick eight, you know, and then uh, give it to the audience to vote. I also think we gotta we gotta get some special designation to Sam. I mean, Sam is such a loyal listener. He puts in a question nearly every yeah. week, and designate him top listener. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. Top, top listener award goes to Sam V. Blair. Hell thank yeah. You, we appreciate it. And thank you all of you guys for, for, you know, continuing to support us and to listen and to give us your feedback and tell us when we pronounce things wrong or we get information incorrect. We're just human. We do this for you guys and we're just, we're just doing audio jazz up here. So we hope you guys enjoy it. We thank you guys. And, um, if, as you've know, for the last few weeks, we've been sort of promoting uh, the Grindhouse Krampus Blend Coffee that we did uh, in conjunction with Blackheart Coffee. And Matt, you know, we talk about the world being a hellscape, but really, there's there's so much tragedy going on in the world, and right now there are burning there's a burning inferno in Australia. It's tragic, man. I mean, half a half a billion animals have Jesus. died. I think 15 humans have been killed. Just devastation upon devastation all over the country. And, you know, part of us doing the coffee blend was for us to donate to Hope for Paws, which is one of my, was the charity that I already personally donate to that helps rescue animals here in the Los Angeles area. But we wanted to do a little bit more. And so if you guys go to our Etsy store and you buy a bag of the coffee, it's 20 bucks plus shipping. Uh, 50% of that is going to go to uh, an Australian fire relief fund. Uh, I'll ask Mr. Sophia, which is the best one, and we'll donate to that maybe in the next month or so. We'll do monthly donations based on whatever our sales are. We're doing something to give back to the world. We're not just commenting on it. Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, what's the uh, link to the Etsy store? It's long, but I'll put it up on the social media. <laughs> okay. I'll put it up on our Instagram. Follow us on our Instagram at Grindhouse Podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Oscuro. Uh, Matt has a Twitter that he never uses, but we're going to get him back on I, there I eventually. I don't have Twitter. I, have... I think we're gonna, that's our 2020 goal, guys, is to get Matt to be active on, on Just Twitter. Just because when you look at uh, your Twitter friend list or whatever, it shows me there. That doesn't mean that I have Twitter. I have literally I've sent you tons of tweets. Have you really? <laughs> yes. It's mostly me just waving <laughs> at you. All right, I'll log in one day. One I'll of these days, one of these days, you're gonna get on Twitter and you're just gonna get 15 messages from me where I just wave. I don't know at what you. it's for. I don't know what Twitter's for. I don't understand it. Talking shit. Um, but but I do think it's kind of in keeping with our topic. Like, there's a lot of static on Twitter, but it has become an avenue for certain the rare few journalists that have maintained some integrity to sort of have a voice that reaches people directly without editorial, for better or for worse. Okay. It seems like it would be a place for only editorial, but um, 
interesting. You see it different. Well, I mean, no, no. When I'm saying no governing editorial, you know, it's like people could tweet whatever they want. Obviously, yes, until it gets back to their employer, and then they're in the news for being fired for their tweets. They're fucked. Unless, unless they're the president, he's no one's. Somehow he he's had he's had so many tweets that if it was somebody else, he'd be fired. Um, do we right. have any more mailbag questions or anything? We have a uh, no. Do you have any? Do you have any questions? Any closing thoughts as we cl- closely approach upon the end of the world? <laughs> we t- we're not coming on the end of the world. I know that. Uh, th- that's do you though? Yes, I do. And in fact, uh, you all, uh, everybody needs to get that out of their head because that would be uh, something way more convenient than what the reality is. Uh, we can't end the world. We're going to be stuck here. So try to uh, pretend there's a future and act like it because guess what? There will be no matter what. And you're going to be in it. And it's up to you if you want it to be something uh, pleasant or if you want to pretend that this is a world that actually has the potential to end and keep on going and find out you were wrong and things are just really, really tough. Because uh, uh, that's that's the reality. We don't just get to conveniently end this and go away. Uh, we have to keep on because uh, you're going to want to survive. Pretend, you call it a hellscape, say whatever. But the truth is, you all love life and you don't want to lose it, and you're going to keep surviving. And so, try to behave because uh, whatever you do will still be here in the future. And uh, so, if you just uh, work work hard to make it something pleasant there, because uh, uh, guess what? Yeah, there is no end of the world. Nobody's coming for us. There is no messiah. Uh, there's no escape. So please, please, please act like it. Well, Matt, you might be right. Just like the Cats movie, this world never ends. But you sure as hell wish that it had. So if you don't like this movie of a world that we're in, better grab those hammers and start smashing some mirrors. Until next time, this is Dave and Matt. Adios. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the wall. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.